Gym sessions and sweaty summer activities are back, which means more funky smells in your clothes because sweat leaves behind bacteria that causes those hard-to-remove odors. Clorox Fabric Sanitizer products are ready to zap the stink out of fabrics in your home by getting rid of 99.9% of odor-causing bacteria. Eliminate odors in every load or sanitize fabrics between washes with one of our Fabric Sanitizer products. Search Fabric Sanitizer at Clorox.com to learn more. When it counts, trust Clorox. Use as directed. Wednesday, October 6th, CSI, The Global Phenomenon, opens a brand new chapter in Las Vegas. And an existential threat calls the crime lab's legacy and future into question. A brilliant new team of investigators will enlist the help of friends from the past as they deploy the latest forensic techniques to do what they do best, follow the evidence, in order to preserve and serve justice in Sin City and uncover the truth. CSI Vegas series premiere Wednesday, October 6th on CBS. Le volant d'une frontière Grand Prix vous convaincra qu'il s'agit de la berline grande routière parfaite pour votre famille. Si vous en avez une des autres, vous c'est tout. Même pas. In November 1998, a Montreal woman accused an RCMP constable of sexually abusing her two-year-old son. The accusation was investigated, but in 1999, Quebec court judge Luc Trudel found insufficient evidence against 39-year-old officer Gerald Jerry Thériault to warrant a trial. The judge didn't believe the mother's allegations because she had lied several times under oath. Constable Thierryo walked out of court smiling but lamented, This last 20 months, all that stress was put on my family. After Thierryo was charged with molesting and sexually assaulting the child, the RCMP suspended him with pay. Thierryo said he would try to get reinstated but was not optimistic about his prospects. My career is finished. You know the RCMP. They don't like publicity in the newspapers. Despite his protests, Gerald Thierryo was not being completely honest about his disciplinary history with the RCMP. This was not the first time Constable Terio had been in the newspapers. This was not the first time Constable Terio had been less than forthcoming about his actions. 
This is who killed Teresa. Montreal Gazette, November 11th, 1994. Search on for missing woman who disappeared near Seaway. The Sartre de Québec is seeking the public's help in finding an 18-year-old St. Catherine woman who has been missing for five days. Hélène Ertubis was last seen early Sunday morning by a friend, an RCMP constable. The constable told investigators he spoke with Ertubis about 2 a.m., at Highway 132 and 30, near the South Shore community where she lives. Police divers will resume dragging the St. Lawrence Seaway today near St. Catherine. Ertebees is 5 feet 6 inches tall, weighs about 135 pounds, and has long brown hair. She was wearing a marine blue sweater, jeans, and black suede shoes. She was driving a black 1992 Pontiac Grand Prix. Anyone with information is asked to call police at 598-4043. Montreal Gazette. May 5th, 1995. Corpse found in submerged car. Police have relaunched their investigation into the November disappearance of a St. Catherine's woman after her car and a body in it were pulled out of the St. Lawrence River yesterday. The black 1992 Pontiac Grand Prix, discovered about 1.15 p.m. by divers, was registered to Hélène Ertubis. The female body in the submerged vehicle was badly decomposed, making it impossible to identify as Ertubis without an autopsy. The 18-year-old was last seen on Highway 132 in the early morning of November 5th by an RCMP patrol officer she had befriended. The Mountie told police the woman had phoned him and that they had met and talked for a couple of hours. The discovery was made by commercial divers carrying out the annual spring cleaning of the seaway system. The operation generally turns up several stolen vehicles that are ditched by joyriders. Montreal Gazette, November 29th, 1995. Cop describes seduction scene. Gerald Jerry Theriot testified at the public inquest into Etrebise's death that he spent about one hour with her in the early hours of November 6, 1994. Theriot said he was patrolling his territory around three o'clock that morning when he stopped to investigate whether Ertubis was having problems with her vehicle, which was parked at the corners of highways 30 and 132 
near Kanawake. He explained that he knew it was her car because it had been stopped about an hour earlier by one of his patrolmen, and that the black Pontiac Grand Prix and its driver were known for breaking traffic laws in order to get the attention of male officers. Terrio said the two remained in their respective vehicles and chatted to one another through the windows. After she spoke about another officer she had met, her family, school, and job, he said she began discussing her fantasies, which included wanting to be dominated by and wanting to dominate a cop, making love in a cruiser and while handcuffed. I tried to change the subject and she kept coming back to her sex life, he said under questioning by inquest prosecutor Gilles Arsenault. I warned her that some cops might take advantage of it, and she responded that that was exactly what she wanted. He said the 18-year-old at one point got out of her car and approached the cruiser, complimenting Tidio on his voice and eyes. She eventually asked to sit inside the marked car. I thought maybe I could gain her confidence by letting her in. The senior officer said Ertubis never stopped repeating, Test me, test me. So at one point he asked to see her breasts. He said she complied, then put her hand on his crotch. She told me there was no danger in having an affair because she would keep quiet and could give me a good ride, Terrio recalled. I told her I wasn't interested, that I had a child and a partner. It was then he suggested she go home, but not before inviting her to join him and other RCMP and Sarté du Québec officers at a nearby donut shop next morning at 2 a.m. Terrio said she left and he returned to the police station. Before we go any further, um, let's hit pause. And uh, I chose to read all read all that because uh, I think the sequence is important. From um, you know the, <clears throat> I would say we start with the coda from ninety eight with Thierry or Thierry. And then move back to the disappearance, the discovery of the car in the spring, and then the beginning of the coroner's uh, inquest in the fall of uh, 1995. Um, But we're going to pause because uh, 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 Ellen 
FTB is, is taking, uh, despite uh, apparently her reputation, Ellen FTB is taking quite a beating here. And uh, uh, what we do know is that uh, Constable uh, Terio was very much alive and Ellen RTB was dead and not able to defend herself. Um, corrupt corruption, what's your function? Making up stories and slandering victims. Anyway, so uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of little details uh, here, and uh, so we're gonna we're gonna go on and and talk a little bit about uh, how this coroner's inquest in the fall of nineteen ninety five proceeded into the death of Ellen Ertubis. The coroner's inquest, which was held in Longay, Longay, continued. Okay. Constable Terio testifies that the lease for the home where he lived with his former common-law wife, uh, Natalie Avril, had been signed in the summer of 1994, long before the disappearance of Ellen Ertubis. But um, Avril then takes the stand and discloses that Gerald Terio forced her to sign a backdated lease because he believed that would prevent police from searching their home in the matter of uh, Ertubis's disappearance. And, <laughs> you know, it sounds like uh, Constable uh, uh, Terio needs that 24-hour legal hotline we, we talked about last uh, week with the Poitras Commission. Uh, I don't really think that's how the legality of things works but uh, nevertheless I don't, I don't think uh, he needed to worry um police are never going to thoroughly investigate their own because if they do they might end up looking right in the mirror everybody knows that so to continue terio made uh, uh natalie avril sign the lease uh, in, in early December 1994, approximately one month after Ertubis vanished. And on the witness uh, stand, uh, uh, Natalie Avril says, um, I didn't read it before signing because I, I was under pressure. He told me it was there so they wouldn't be a, a police search of the house and looking through our personal things because of the disappearance of the Ertubis woman. It wasn't until April of 1995, less than a month before Ertubis' body uh, was pulled from the St. Lawrence River, that Avril noticed the lease was dated July 1994. Uh, by this time, the couple had uh, split with uh, Avril uh, leaving Terrio in December of 1994. In addition to police officers um, offered their testimony that conflicted with Tirio's version of events, Constable uh, Andre Flues states that he met with Tirio at a Tim Hortons donut shop around 1.30 a.m. on November 7, 1994, and that Tirio confided he had had an hour-long encounter with Ertubis the previous day. Recall that in Terriel's version of events, he had invited uh, 
L2Bs to to this actual meeting at the Tim Hortons. So I, this might have been some uh, half-assed attempt at, at an uh, alibi by Tyrio. I'm, I'm not quite sure what to make of it, but uh, it, clearly he's not a great planner or thinker. Uh, Fluet also testified that Terio uh, initially stated that the November 6th encounter with Ertubiz had been his first with the 18-year-old. He later said he had been to her house before November 6th to answer a call about a prowler. Constable Denis Boivin added that Terrio appeared nervous at the Tim Hortons donut shop. Both officers said Terrio spoke of Ertubis disclosing her sexual fantasies, how she wanted to dominate and be dominated by a police officer to make love in the back of the police cruiser, etc., etc., with the handcuffs. Under cross-examination, Terrio admitted... He used poor judgment in asking Ertubis to show him her breasts. He also said he never disclosed the sexual nature of the encounter to investigators when Ertubis was originally reported missing because he, quote, didn't see the relevance. Other RCMP officers from Terio's detachment testified that they too had encounters with Ertubis, that she also shared sexual fantasies with them. In fact, the patrol officers had been warned by their superiors at briefings before their shifts not to approach Ertubis and her Black Pontiac Grand Prix alone. Ertubis had earned a reputation among the Mounties and members of the South Shore Sorti de Quebec for purposely committing traffic violations to get the attention of male officers. Diver found car dead teen in 10 minutes after 14 tries by SQ. Mike King, Montreal Gazette, December 1st, 1995. A commercial diver did in 10 minutes what provincial police divers were unable to achieve in 14 attempts. Locate Ellen Ertubiz's body and car in the St. Lawrence River. After about 10 minutes in the water, I found the Grand Prix. Régent Chagnon told coroner Anne-Marie David about his May 4th find in about 10.5 meters of water. Evidence presented to David on Monday showed that Sorte du Québec divers unsuccessfully searched the same area around Bay Argion Pier in St. Catharines on 14 different occasions during the seven months Ertubis was missing. Chagnon and diver partner Pascal Dufresne conducting an inspection along the southern shore pier as part of a federal contract made the grim discovery of the 18-year-old woman's badly decomposed body floating inside the car. 
One of the legs was sticking out of the driver's side window. Asked whether it appeared the windows had been broken, Chagnon reported that it seemed both windows in the two-door vehicle had been lowered. Conveniently, two fellow RCMP constables now come forward and describe an almost identical encounter with Ertubis as the one given by Constable Terrio in the early morning of November 6th. Fellow Mounties Richard LeMay and Danny Bellin say that Ertubis also shared her sexual fantasies with them. According to LeMay and Belin, they had a meeting with Ertubis in their police cruiser near a field in the early morning of October 31st, 1994. Ertubis lifted her shirt and showed them her bra. According to the officers, she then climbed into the front of the cruiser and grabbed LeMay's crotch. It was at this point that the two officers said they kicked Ertubis out of the patrol car, then proceeded to destroy the videotape from the cruiser-equipped camera. inquest into L'Affaire Ertipis ended in December 1995 and left more questions than it answered. Her summary, which came in a 73-page report filed in February 1996, shouldn't be too surprising. Coroner David concluded there was not enough evidence to demonstrate a suicide, an accident, or a murder. Ellen wasn't abducted, strangled, or drugged. The autopsy showed no traces of violence, wrote David. Terrio had no motive to kill her, but neither did Ertubis have reason to take her own life. Although that isn't quite true. The pathologist Claude Potel stated he could not determine the cause of death because of the advanced state of the decomposition. That's not the same thing as saying she wasn't murdered. acknowledged that scratches, uh, what appeared to be friction marks, points of depression on the rear bumper of Ertubis' Grand Prix were troubling, possibly being an indication that the Grand Prix had been pushed by another vehicle into the St. Lawrence. In her summary corner, David writes, the undersigned concludes, unless there are new facts to support another hypothesis, The implicit accident hypothesis, another vehicle that hit the Grand Prix, is the only hypothesis 
that is possible to provide because it is the only hypothesis that is consistent with all the evidence. Still, so if someone ran uh, Ellen's, uh, if someone ran Helen off the road at Key uh, Bay, uh, Bay Argent, um, one has to ask why. They accidentally ran her off the road and the car plunged into the St. Lawrence River. They they intentionally ran her off the the road. Um, That um, sudden event uh, 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 of possibly coincidence is doesn't seems a little far-fetched um a static event where you're parked in the area and something happens and then somebody intentionally slowly pushes your vehicle into uh, the waters seems more plausible to me In 13 days of dives along the 1.3-kilometer-long Bay uh, Argent uh, Pier, Sûreté de Québec divers managed to recover 40 vehicles in the spring cleanup, but not Helen's Pontiac Grand Prix. I mean, it is a short pier. Certain de Quebec investigators also reported that Constable uh, Jerry Thiriot had undergone a polygraph investigation in December 1994, but that he passed the test conclusively, thus proving his innocence, according to them. And I'm also, I'm, I'm omitting some things from the coroner's report, a lot of technical things. Uh, it goes into a lot of uh, accelerator mumbo-jumbo about... Um, how the Grand Prix was engaged in overdrive and uh, there was no foreign object on the accelerator, so it must have been uh, Helen's uh, foot on the accelerator. It just stop, 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 stop. I mean, I mean, all of that information is provided by a technical expert from the Sartre de Quebec, the same experts who couldn't find the car after 14 attempts, the same detectives who cleared... Thiriot, uh, through a pass-fail polygraph process. And so to, to, to all of that, I call bullshit. Uh, Helen's parents' reaction to the report was understandably dismissive. Uh, what am I, green? Stated uh, Joanne Ertubis. Suis-je glacette? Uh, in my opinion, this does not make sense. We were kind of expecting this because there were too many lies and contradictions during the inquest. Joanne Ertebiz, Helen's mother, acknowledged that Helen had problems with her behavior and they had consulted uh, psychologists, but she was not suicidal. Friends and family disclosed that Helen was known to sleep with cops or want to sleep with cops she had kind of an obsession with it, um, 
a lot of her friends were under the impression that her her father was an RCMP or a Certe de Quebec um, officer. By the way, Helen talked, although this wasn't uh, this wasn't true. Um, uh, Ellen had several names and phone numbers of police officers in her journal, and one entry read, "Meeting with Mister RCMP." And then the second entry says, Richard and Company on November 3rd. Back to Helen's mother, who says, The police waged a public campaign to slander the reputation of an individual. Lâche les policiers, she says. The police are cowards. Thus concludes... uh, Madame Ertubis, and, and she's right. It's uh, it's it's character assassination um, uh, that that they undergo. They they slander the reputation of a of a dead young woman who who cannot defend herself, who is not represented in this coroner's process. Uh, the family is not represented in this coroner's process. They have to sit silently by and and watch as Helen's. Um, Reputation is dragged uh, through the mud by men, uh, by um, officers who are, are sworn to protect citizens, residents, and it's simply not the case in the uh, unfortunate death of Ellen uh, Ertubis. Before we get to um, an idea of what I think might have happened. Um, we're almost uh, 30 minutes in, and I I should answer the question that everyone outside of Quebec is, or has probably had running in their heads since the beginning of this episode. What the hell is the RCMP doing in Quebec, let alone what the hell is the RCMP? And that um, is an an excellent question. Um, so once upon a time, the RCMP uh, was everything that you would have imagined them to have uh, been. Uh, uh, Sergeant Renfrew, uh, Dudley Do-Right, and a guy in a red uniform, uh, you know, on horseback, Um that evolved over the years for for a long period. They're very much like the FBI in the United States, central tell like a an intelligence agency. Um, the uh, central intelligence aspect of that split off from uh, the RCMP, I believe, in the in, in the eighties or nineties, became uh, the Canadian Security Intelligence Services, uh, known as CSIS in Canada. And so the RCMP stopped having um, that role. But what they, in essence, are is they are a federal police force, whereas the Sartre de Quebec is a provincial police force. Um, however, there are nuances. For instance, the, the only two provinces in Canada with a provincial police force is Quebec and Ontario, the Sartre de Quebec and the OPP, the Ontario uh, Provincial Police. In all the other provinces, um, the RCMP acts as the the provincial police force. 
So, um, and um, to further complicate uh, matters, so we also have, so we have the provincial police and the federal police, and then of course large municipalities would have um, their own police forces. The SPVM in Montreal is the Montreal Police Force. Um, and uh, so what, what would the RCMP be doing on the south shore of Montreal in the 1990s if that's the jurisdiction of the St. Catharines uh, Police Force, Municipal Police Force, and the Sarté de Québec? Um, the, the, they could be a number of things that they would be doing in a federal interest. But the big thing you need to know is St. Catharines is on the border we mentioned at the beginning of Kanawake. Kanawake is a First Nations uh, land, uh, the Mohawk tribe. Um, so uh, Constable Thierryo would have been, and, and his counterparts from the detachment, would have been um, patrolling the borderline of the First Nations uh, land, which would be, have been considered um, a federal jurisdiction. But wait, it gets further uh, complicated uh, than that. Um, it, in some cases, uh, First Nations uh, have their own policing programs, their, their own uh, indigenous police force, depending on on the size of um the territory, etc. I think that's relatively uh, new. Um, it, that, that certainly wouldn't have been the case in the sixties and seventies. Um, so, so you have all again you, um, um, and then you get jurisdictional confusion, as we've talked about many, many, many times. So that's why you, you know, in a very, very small community like Saint Catharines you would have the St. Catharines Police Force, the RCMP, and the Sarité de Quebec all interacting with each other, all having a coffee at 2 a.m. at Tim uh, Horton's Donut Shop um, while they're you know, taking a break from patrol. So getting back to a, a version of what I think might have happened in... In reviewing uh, the coroner's report, so I have the coroner's report, and in reading that document, I think there's a key element in uh, Corporal uh, Thierryot's um, testimony that the media missed, that the coroner missed. Uh, during the end of their encounter, when uh, Helen is back in her car, Thierryot says that Helen says she's going to drive home. But she was going to get there by using what she calls the sea route. And this is Terrio's. He says, so she tells me that she's going to go by the sea. By saying that to me, she has a big smile on her face. And I say, why do you want to go by the sea route? At that time, I did not know where she was exactly was talking about. So she tells me... Um, I always go by that way. It's it's okay. There are fewer traffic lights and not a lot of people. And I th I think that's a lie. 
In fact, Coroner David states at one point, Constable Thierryot's testimony is full of lies. As a patrol officer, Thierryot would have known exactly uh, where Helen was talking about. Uh, this is Thierryot's attempt to suggest that Ertubis drove in the direction of uh, Qui uh, uh, Belargent and then had an accident and drove off the pier, or maybe became depressed when Thierryot didn't follow her and uh, intentionally drove the Grand Prix into the St. Lawrence. What Thierryot doesn't realize is that by by making this suggestion, by identifying the sea route, and by disclosing this conversation, he unwittingly and psychologically now places himself in the event space where Helen died. Now, in her report, the coroner says that uh, Thierryot never was at the key location because uh, because he wouldn't have referenced it. He he wouldn't have called attention to it if he had been there. Um, um, but I, I, I think she's missing uh, a key point. And, th- and that's that the RCMP constable is reckless and quite stupid. He, he says a lot of things that he shouldn't say. And he does a lot of things that are questionable in his judgment. The stupid back-signing backdating of the lease trick, um, allowing Ellen to even get in his car, as he states. Um, these all show a, a lapse of, of judgment and, and an, an inability to really think things through. Reviewing the, the geography of the incident reveals to me some very telling details. Um, and, that if you just look at a map of the locations, you will get really, really quickly. And I, um, I put a map on the website theresalore.com, T-H-E-R-E-S-A-A-L-L-O-R-E.com. If you look at the key Belargent, uh, where Helen's car was pulled, and then if you look at the road that leads to the key, the sea route, the only road that makes that uh, pier, that key accessible, is a service road right along the frontier of the Kanawake Reserve. Then, then consider Constable Terrio. He's an RCMP officer who would have been responsible for patrolling that frontier. He would have driven that road many, 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 many times. So for me, the geography just tells me everything that I need to know about this case. So I'll give you a scenario of what I think might have happened. Terrio and Ertubis, they have their encounter at the junction of routes 132 and 30 on the border of the Kanawake Indian Reserve. This part of the story... uh, given by Terrio is is true. Um, this is a place where cops often stop and they talk um, across cars, drivers to drivers. Uh, things play out somewhat according to Terrio's account. She flashes her breasts. Uh, she grabs his crotch. Then they decide to take things a little further. 
But they can't carry this out in this location. It's too busy. It's right along a main highway. Lots of traffic, lots of donut shops, uh, things like this. So they come up with this idea um, to go to the key, the sea route. Helen knows this place because it's a shortcut to her home, less uh, traffic lights. And Thierry knows it because he's been patrolling that industrial area for his entire career with the RCMP detachment. In fact, the coroner's report tells us he had been patrolling that very area earlier that evening. He says later, around 2 in the morning, he started to patrol the roads and highways encircling the territory, which takes from 20 to 25 minutes at night. So how can Terrio testify later that he didn't know where Helen was talking about by the sea route? Uh, we're not talking a great distance here. We're talking about a mile away. Um, it, it is implausible for him to say he didn't know where she's talking about when his whole responsibility is as a patrol officer is to know the entire area, which is the size of a, a postage stamp. It's St. Catherine is not a big town. It is, it is a one street town um, with a service road that leads to the ports so they drive together to this location. During the day, the, the key, it's a buzzing with activity, right? Um, but in the dark of the morning, it's, it's nothing but rail cars, shipping containers, salt domes, lift cranes, things like this. They fulfill Helen's fantasy for rough sex, handcuffs and dominance in the back of the patrol car. Things get out of hand. Domination leads to strangulation, then death. You didn't mean to do it. No one wanted that outcome. But then what do you do? You're a cop. You got responsibilities. You got a kid. You open the windows. You line up the Grand Prix with the edge of the key. You take your patrol car and you push the Grand Prix into the St. Lawrence River. November 6, 1994. It's always troubling when one force investigates another in these affairs. Yesterday's SQ captain can become tomorrow's SPVM chief. A cop with the Lennoxville police force may end his career with Sartre de Quebec. It's interesting to note that all of these matters were playing out at the same time as the several of the cases we've recently covered Melanie Cabet, the Biker War, the beginning of the Biker War, the Maddox Affair, Operation Carcajou, Poitras, uh, is a time of deep moral crisis within the ranks of Quebec police. And as Lawrence Poitras questioned, who is policing the police? In all of this, the St. Catherine's police were strangely silent. Recall that for five months, Ellen Ertubis was missing. The, she was a St. Catherine's person. St. Catherine's missing person. 
The case should have been under their jurisdiction, yet as early as December 1994, we have the provincial police, the Sereté de Quebec, sticking their nose in it, administering the lie detector test to RCMB Constable Thériault, and very quickly coming to a judgment, a determination that he was innocent. Perhaps the St. Catherine's police was not able, was too small to have a professional uh, polygrapher on staff, perhaps not. I do know this. I wouldn't be driving around the south shore of Montreal in the early morning hours of November with the windows rolled down. I think officers from the Delson Detachment of the RCMP and the Sarté Quebec knew exactly where Helen's Black Pontiac Grand Prix was all through that winter of 1994-1995. And they made damn sure it stayed there until it and everything in it was thoroughly decomposed. smoking gun in all of this was coroner and Marie David. In her analysis, David takes the police at their word. Every awful, disreputable thing that they say about Ellen Ertubis, with no one standing by to step up for her. If L'Affaire Ertubis has a fog of war quality to it, Coroner David definitely had a hand in that. Her nebulous, inconclusive determination is typical of her 20-year career working for the coroner's office in Quebec in the 1980s, 1990s. If an inmate hung himself or was found drugged to death in his cell, Coroner Anne-Marie David more often than not concluded it was suicide. If there was a police-involved shooting... Coroner David typically concluded that the officer was not at fault. The most uh, notorious example of this was the May 1995 shooting death of 23-year-old Martin Suazo. After allegedly robbing a store on St. Catherine's Street in Montreal, Suazo was fatally shot while on his knees about to be handcuffed and surrounded by about a dozen Montreal police officers. David was highly criticized for her handling of the coroner's inquest, refusing a public outcry for her to step down from the case. Two and a half years later, coroner David concluded that Suazo died of an accidental gunshot wound. Yves Manso of the nonprofit Citizens Against Police Brutality charged that David's report was biased in favor of police and it ignored several points raised during the inquiry. It's obvious that Coroner David has a favorable bias in favor of police forces and police profession. Plus a fucking change.
This is who killed Teresa. True Crime on A&E, with groundbreaking original shows like The First 48, Cold Case Files, Accused, Guilty or Innocent, and American Justice. No one brings you closer. Groundbreaking True Crime, every Thursday and Friday on A&E. Unlike other automakers, we at Ford don't think you should need a 20-minute tutorial to open your glove box. So we made our technology easy to use. By making our vehicles available with Blue Cruise hands-free driving, Sync 4, and the Ford Pass app. And the best part? They just work. Built for America. Built Ford proud. Optional features listed.